Hi, it's Nathan Eckersley here. Before we get into the new episode of my podcast, I do need to warn you. On this episode, you might hear me asking you to send me a message with your opinion. I love hearing your opinions, but the messages you hear me reading out on air are from the live broadcast of the podcast, which takes place on Wizard Radio Station every Sunday from 3pm UK time. If you want to get involved, make sure you listen live then. Please don't try to send in any messages for this episode, as your message won't be read, but you might still be charged. Anyway, that's the legal bit done. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome. I'm Nathan Eckersley and on the show this week we are looking at the Labour Party and asking if a Labour government is the solution to the UK's problems. Plus, I'll be looking at recent reports into the government spying on lockdown sceptics and asking if this is government overreach. It's a packed show and I want to hear from you, so let's go. We are all too aware that the Conservative Party has presided over a deeply divisive and difficult 13 years of power, littered with economic hardships and constitutional challenges. Particularly in this cost of living crisis, the failures of leadership and inaction have seen prices soar and aspiration diminish. The fact that 2022 saw three Prime Ministers in two months shames us as a country and is an embarrassment to the Conservative Party the oldest and most successful political party in the world. As a result of these problems with the governing party, for the first time since 2010, the national conversation has shifted to very seriously considering Sir Keir Starmer and the Labour Party as our next Prime Minister and Government. Rishi Sunak marked 100 days in office this week. However, in an article for The Sun, Sunak stated that he wanted to be judged not in his 100 days, but rather on his 1,000 days in office, which will be at the next general election. Sunak's thousandth day in office is going to be Monday the 21st of July 2025. However, the Dissolution and Calling of Parliament Act 2022 states that a general election must be held no later than Friday the 24th of January 2025, his 822nd day in office. So either the Prime Minister has got his numbers wrong or there's the prospect of a change to the law to delay the next election to summer 2025. Well, despite Sunak's article, we are still expecting that election to be in May 2024, which means, as I've said for the past few weeks, the next general election campaign has already started, and the parties are starting to make their pitches. It is no secret that I am a Conservative Party member and active supporter, and that I do make the case for the Conservatives where I can. That being said, and putting my own ideological beliefs to one side, I do not believe that the Labour Party winning the next general election is the solution to the nation's problems. It's easy to look at what we have now and think, surely it can't be worse than this. But I can assure you, things can get so much worse than this. Well, this week, Sir Keir Starmer gave a speech to the London Labour Regional Conference, setting out his stall as the party gets ready to fight May's local elections. This is Sir Keir's uh, pitch to the country. 
for conference, make no mistake, we'll have to work for it. The Tories will never give up on power. That's not who they are. So no let up, no complacency, fight for every vote. Britain is crying out for change, crying out for decisive leadership, and we must provide it. Prove that we can be a bold reforming government. Show not just what the Tories have done to Britain, but the Britain that Labour can build. A fairer, greener, more dynamic country, with an economy that works for everyone, not just those at the top, and a politics which trusts communities with the power to control their own destiny. I'm going to go through a number of key policy areas on which Labour is pitching itself to the electorate and explain why, despite their many, many flaws, the nation is better with a Conservative government. Now, the biggest issue at the moment is the economy. Cost of living is hitting people hard and the broader economy is predicted to contract, making the UK the only major economy to shrink in 2023, according to the IMF. Well, Labour's plan for the economy is to do the following. Number one, create good green jobs and new high-tech green industries across the UK. Two, scrap business rates and replace them with a system that will incentivise investment. Three, create a new industrial strategy council. Four, buy, make and sell more in Britain. And five, introduce a new deal for working people, boosting jobs and security and securing fair pay for all. Now, the glaringly obvious thread throughout these plans is that they are not actually costed nor does the party explain how they will actually do these things. It would be great to have green jobs and industries, but they cannot just be magicked up from nowhere, or be given environmental edicts from the state. Scrapping business rates is the only sound policy in this, except they should not be replaced, just abolished entirely if Labour is serious about winning over businesses. An industrial strategy council is another good idea, which can work, provided it has a rotating, non-partisan membership, which is representative of all types of businesses. Buying, making and selling more in Britain means higher prices, because protectionism only means paying premiums for products which are cheaper and often better from abroad through free trade. Introducing a new deal for working people doesn't tell us anything, so the only idea we can assume will be included in this is an increase to the minimum wage, which puts yet another burden on small businesses. Another policy which was announced this week for businesses has to be one of the most dangerous I've heard for a while. A Labour government would prioritise awarding lucrative government contracts to black-led businesses in an attempt to win over more voters from minority demographics. The policy was created by Labour peer Baroness Lawrence of Clarendon, the mother of murdered teenager Stephen Lawrence, in her role as Labour's race relations advisor, and it would be implemented through a new Race Relations Act. Awarding contracts based on the race of people who run businesses is not only seemingly racist and definitely anti-competition, but it is also deeply divisive. As if the last few years haven't seen heightened strains in race relations, this would only entrench these divisions at the highest levels of the state. Now, away from the economy, Labour is pitching itself as the party of law and order, bringing in Sir Keir Starmer's five-year stint as Director of Public Prosecutions. When he was Shadow Home Secretary, Sir Tony Blair made a pledge to be tough on crime and tough on the causes of crime, a promise he carried over when he was Prime Minister. Sir Keir Starmer is trying to emulate that with a new Prevent, Punish, Protect message to tackle rising crime. But this message rings hollow, 
given that a number of Labour MPs have been found guilty of committing crimes themselves in recent years, with some losing the party whip and some being forced to resign their seats. In 2017, Fiona Onosanya was removed from office through a recall petition after being found guilty of lying to police about a speeding ticket and was sentenced to three months in prison. In 2021, Leicester East MP Claudia Webb lost the whip and refused to resign her seat after being given a suspended sentence for harassment and issuing violent threats. And as for Sakir's record as Director of Public Prosecutions, there have been a number of question marks over his decision-making, particularly with his handling of the 2011 London riots and the case of Jean-Charles Demenzies, who was shot dead by police after being falsely accused of being a suicide bomber. On foreign affairs, I'll hand over to Shadow Foreign Secretary David Lammy, who set out Labour's vision for a global Britain in a speech at Chatham House last month. In government, we will announce a new mission statement for the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office designed around five clear goals. One, a Britain reconnected to defend the UK's security with strong armed forces and resilience against the 21st century threats. Two, a Britain reconnected to champion the UK's prosperity and lead the industries of the future. Three, a Britain reconnected for climate action, turning our response into an engine of growth. Four, a Britain reconnected for international development, helping to promote the UK's security, health, and jobs in the process, and five, a Britain reconnected for diplomacy to re-establish the United Kingdom as a trusted, reliable and influential partner while protecting Britons abroad. Again, great ideas. However, we must not forget that Sakir Starmer and David Lammy were the architects of Labour's policy under Jeremy Corbyn to hold a second EU referendum with a view to remain. Any vision of a global Britain under a Labour government would involve closer ties with the EU, even though voters chose to leave the bloc and endorsed that decision by giving Boris Johnson an 80-seat majority. As Shadow Brexit Secretary, Sir Keir Starmer was the leader of the People's Vote campaign for a second referendum and consistently backed Remain. Shadow Foreign Secretary David Lammy was so dogmatic in his support for the EU that he went as far as to say to Andrew Marr on the BBC in 2019, that when referring to members of the European Research Group, a faction of Conservative Brexiteer MPs, comparing them to Nazis was, quote, not strong enough. The UK would be diminished on the world stage under a Labour government. Now, I could go on about how Labour would be terrible in government, and it saddens me to say that. Even though I do come from a Conservative perspective, it is not right that the choice for voters is so poor that the question we ask at the ballot box is who is the least worst option? Politics needs a strong opposition, which is a government in waiting, and we do not have that with Labour. Corbynism did so much damage to the party that it will take more than one parliament and a change in leader to correct the hugely damaging Corbyn experiment. Credit where it is due, Sakir has done a lot of good work in trying to purge the Corbyn legacy and anti-Semitism from the party, but Labour is definitely not ready for government. Please get in touch and let me know your thoughts. You can tweet us or DM us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at Radio. You can vote in our poll. The question of the day is, is a Labour government the solution to the UK's problems? 
To vote on that poll, visit wizardradio.com forward slash listen to vote live. You can text us at no extra cost, only standard network rate supply at 07807 183538. Email us station at wizardradio.com and all of our contact details can be found on our website at www.wizardradio.com. We'll be back after this. Let's hear what you have to say. And our first message today comes from Alfie. Alfie says, Nathan, you would have to be delusional to believe that the Conservative Party are currently in office for any reason other than just to fuel their own egos. We have had over a decade of Conservative governments and it is now time for new leadership, new people in office who can bring a new perspective. The benefits of a new government are not just what their manifestos say, but about having a new set of eyes once they are in office and have the benefit of all the information that the Prime Minister has access to. I think that at this point anyone would be better than this group of scandalous politicians that do not follow the rules themselves, are getting sacked every other week and have no new ideas on how to actually make the country a better place. Well, thank you for that message, Alfie. And I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, the Conservative Party has many, many issues and you know, I don't seek to defend many of the, the actions they've taken. You know, I, I don't agree with the direction Rishi Sunak's taken with the economy. I disagree with uh, the fact that Nadim Zahawi was allowed to stay as party chairman for so long, despite the many allegations over his tax affairs. You know, the, there are many, many things, issues with the Conservative Party. And, you know, I, at the moment, they are not acting as a government should do. They are too distracted with other things. Completely agree with that. But we do have to look at the, what what is being presented as the alternative. And I just don't see the Labour Party as being ready to take on the challenges of government. There's no question that we face difficult times at the moment, especially with the economy. But the, the plans that are being proposed, it's not just about fresh perspectives and new faces. We actually have to look at the substance of what the parties are offering. And the the policies being put forward by the Labour Party at the moment currently do not have any substance. I mean, the, the economic policies that I re- re- uh, read out before in my opening remarks, you know, that they, they are just statements. They're not backed up with figures. They're not costed properly. And look, the, the only decent idea within that is the, the idea to scrap business rates. You know, business rates have been a huge burden on businesses for many, many years. But they need scrapping entirely, not replacing with something else that will only further complicate the incredibly archaic tax system that we have already. And again, more investment is needed, more enthusiasm, more ambition is needed for the economy. And we're just not getting that from the Labour Party at the moment. And yes, you know, the, the fact that we do have Conservative politicians uh, under investigation for various things and, uh, as you say, being sacked and... Uh, allegations being raised about uh, certain cabinet members. Dominic Robb, for example, is facing allegations against um, bullying at the moment, which from media reports I've read so far don't seem to be any more than having high expectations for the office of Deputy Prime Minister. But that's a conversation for another day. Fundamentally, yes, I, I do agree that a fresh perspective can be good for government, particularly when a party has been in power as long as the Conservatives. But I just do not see a wealth of talent on the Labour benches that is ready to take on the burden of government. I do not see a front bench that is prepared enough to become the next government in potentially 
uh, a year's time. So, yeah, thank you for that message, Alfie. And also, I appreciate the arguments that, you know, it isn't just about what's what's planned. It is about uh, getting those new perspectives. I just don't think Labour is ready yet. But thank you for that message. Our next message comes from Daniel, who says, A lot of people think that new leadership gets rid of old problems, but that's just not the case. Labour will be facing the exact same issues as the Tories currently are. The circumstances do not change, just the people in office. So the question has to be, are the new people, in this case the Labour government, equipped to solve those issues? I just don't think so. For one, if you or I were campaigning to be the new Prime Minister, I guess that we would have to be smart enough to have a fully costed manifesto. You want your ideas to be as obvious and clear-cut as possible. You want there to be no holes in your plan. But that's not what Labour are presenting. I don't know what's more concerning, the fact that they are presenting ideas without costing, or that they are stupid enough to think that they can get away with it. Either way, that is not the sort of leadership we deserve in the UK. Well, thank you for that message, Daniel, and I completely agree with you. We, we are not getting the leadership we deserve in the United Kingdom. And again, as I, as I said earlier, it is an absolute scandal and an embarrassment to our country that we had three prime ministers in two months. And again, again, we can debate the merits and uh, methods in which that happened and, uh, you know, how uh, Rishi Sunak became prime minister and how Boris Johnson and Liz Truss were uh, removed from office. Again, that's a discussion for another day. But the fact that that happened is absolutely disgraceful and really does diminish our position on the world stage. And so, yes, that obviously puts the Conservative Party at a disadvantage going into the next election because of all that baggage. But when we look at what's being presented with the Labour Party, again, it's not enough just to change the leader in, uh, from Jeremy Corbyn to Sir Keir Starmer. It, it's not enough to do that. There needs to be root and branch reform for the Labour Party, particularly after the hugely, hugely damaging Corbyn experiment and some of the many, many issues within uh, his uh, tenure as leader of the Labour Party and leader of the opposition. And the fact that so many of these plans in Labour's policy proposals have been uncosted, have been ill thought through, have been knee-jerk reactions to problems that the country is facing at the moment. We need serious, measured and considered leadership from the opposition. We're just not getting that. Now, in the clip that was played earlier, Sir Kistama is absolutely right that you know the Labour Party should not be complacent about the poll leads that they are enjoying. Absolutely not. A lot can happen within 12 months. I mean, heck, a week is a long time in politics, as they say. And so the, a, an election next year, it could feel like a lifetime away for political parties. And so much can happen between now and then. But fundamentally, the, they aren't new people coming in to present a new face of government. You know, they, they, they are a Labour Party that was, and all those MPs as well were elected under Jeremy Corbyn. They all signed up to his two manifestos, well, for the most part, except those who were, of course, elected in 2019, but they, they all were elected under Jeremy Corbyn's manifestos and were part of his vision. And we shouldn't forget that. So the Labour Party certainly has a lot of work to do. And I fully agree with you, Daniel, that, you know, it's more than just uh, presenting yourself. It is about the substance of what you're presenting. And we're just not getting that. But thank you for that message, Daniel. Our next message comes from Mel, who says, you spent 10 minutes at the start of your show picking apart Labour's promises. So I think it's only fair that we look at the Tories' election promises from the last election. Boris promised not to raise income tax, VAT or national insurance. 
he went back on that policy. He promised that he would keep the triple lock on pensions. He broke that too. He promised that the Tories would solve the UK's social care crisis, pledging that in future no individual would be forced to sell their home in order to pay for their care. That feels very far from reality today. Boris committed to building a new high-speed connection between Leeds and Manchester. Well, you know how that went. He promised to keep the energy cap and introduce new measures to lower bills. That's not been followed through either. I can go on and on, but you get the point. I'll take new ideas over this bunch of liars any day. Well, thank you for that message, Mel. And yes, as I've said in response to earlier messages, you know, the Conservative Party are not saints at the moment. You know, they have gone back on a number of their promises. And in large part, that is down to the legacy of the pandemic and having to take emergency measures and the new economic situation that we find ourselves in as a result of lockdown and lockdown policies. And we shouldn't forget as well just the huge expense of lockdown. I mean, to keep the economy shut, just forcing businesses to close, economic activity to stop, it costs the government's best part of £521 million per day. That is just an astonishing amount of money to spend on keeping the economy closed. And so, of course, in order to fund that, you know, the government did have to increase borrowing and make the most of those low interest rates. But as with all types of borrowing, it has to be paid back at some point. And in order to do that, yes, there were some tax increases. I think many of us, even those on the free market end of the Conservative Party, would agree that some tax rises, there was certainly a case to be had for them. But, you know, nonetheless, he did go back on those promises. And again, on pension reforms, uh, yes, the, the triple lock did go temporarily during the pandemic. And it, it has subsequently returned and been strengthened. And that, that was a decision that did cause a lot of anguish for many during the pandemic and uh, has uh, seen some people forced to delay their retirements as well, which, which is totally unacceptable. But again, it goes back to what uh, I was saying in response to Daniel's message. We're not actually getting any credible ideas from the opposition. We're not having an alternative, really. When we actually break down the, the policy platforms that the Conservatives and Labour are promoting, they are, in, in many ways, very, very similar. They are essentially saying, we're promising more or less the same thing, it's just about how we approach it. The, the Conservatives f seem to be going on a slightly more market-oriented direction with their, with their policy platforms, although under Jeremy Hunt as Chancellor of the Exchequer, we seem to be seeing more and more state spending. But with the Labour Party, it's so much more about giving the state the power to intervene, giving the state more power over the economy, more control over people's lives. And fundamentally, when we come down to it, that's the decision we make. The, the policy platforms are sadly broadly similar. Do you want more of a market business-led approach or do you want more of a state-controlled approach? I would prefer the former. I've, I think the country is better led under the former and I, I don't expect the Conservatives at the next election to walk away with a thumping majority like they did in 2019. But if they do win, and we shouldn't rule it out, it is still a possibility that they can win, then surely they should see this as a kick up the backside to actually do some Conservative things, to be bold, to be ambitious. And again, on, on your point about uh, high-speed rail, again, the costs have ballooned on that so much that I actually think it would be better just to scrap the whole project, start from scratch, because at the moment we've had well over £100 billion spent on 
more or less nothing. So again, more more fiscal discipline absolutely is needed. But you are right, Mel, and thank you for your message because yes, promises have been broken on all all sides. But what what it all boils down to is is the Labour Party really a solution to these problems? Looking at what they're presenting, I really don't think they are. But thank you for that message, Mel. And a reminder to get in touch, you can tweet us or DM us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at Radio. You can vote in our poll. The question of the day is, is a Labour government the solution to the UK's problems? To vote on that poll, visit wizardradio.com forward slash listen to vote live. You can text us at no extra cost, only standard network rate supply at 07807 183538. Email us station at wizardradio.com and all of our contact details can be found on our website www.wizardradio.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Let's check in with the results so far on this week's poll. The question of the day is, is a Labour government the solution to the UK's problems? Well, 87% of you say yes, it is, but 13% say no, it is not. Well, please do vote in the poll if you haven't already. To vote, visit wizardradio.com forward slash listen to vote live. And please do keep your messages coming through. A reminder that all of our contact details can be found on our website at www.wizardradio.com. Let's take some more of your messages now. And our next message comes from Harry, who says, I agree with you that political parties should not present election promises that are not fully costed. I imagine you have emailed Michael Gove then, Nathan, about his empty election promise to scrap leasehold. Because this is an idea that has definitely got my parents talking over dinner last week, before they realised that there is no detail presented as to how this would actually happen. Nathan, are you being paid by the Conservative government to just criticise Labour all day? Because every single criticism you levelled at Labour in the first 10 minutes of your show today are literally all the reality of the Conservative government. Only the Tories have a 12-year history of destroying everything good about this country. It's time to give somebody else a chance to clean things up, something that the Tories are clearly not going to do. Well, thank you for that message, Harry, and I I certainly wish I was being paid by the Conservative Party for uh, some of the work I've done with them, but again, that is a question I can take up with them another day. But, uh, you know, you're you're right. No no political party should uh, present an election promise that isn't costed because fundamentally that is... Well, it's just ir- irresponsible to do so. On the, on your point about Michael Gove, uh, I, I'm quite encouraged, actually, by the fact that he has promised to abolish uh, leasehold on properties. It's an absolute scandal, so some of the issues that happen with leasehold properties. And as, as we were discussing last week after my visit to the Convention of the North, where he uh, announced this idea of abolishing leasehold it, it, it had a very good reception at the conference. Many of the northern leaders were very keen to hear this. And he has openly said that more details will come out about this particular announcement over the next few weeks. So, you know, it's not just a case of we're going to make this promise and that's it. No, there are more details and more information going to be released about the abolition of leasehold at some point over the next few weeks. So, uh Keep an eye out on the government social media sources and news channels about that, because there definitely will be more information on the way. But, you know, the, the, as I keep saying, the Conservative Party are not perfect. You know, I, I don't profess that they are. They have major, major issues. And it, 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 that is in part a symptom of being in government for so long. And you know, the, the fact that we have had one party in government for the last 
nearly 13 years now. Again, that is a reflection on the fact that we've not had a strong opposition for best nearly 13 years. And we, we do have to look and think, is the alternative really there? And as I keep saying, I'm just not seeing it. And a, lo a lot of this we can see in terms of how the Labour Party is uh, approaching the strike action as well. You know, they keep saying that there are uh, it's all the Conservative government's fault that uh, certain industries are striking and how it's uh, it's terrible that they, should, they shouldn't be doing this to the unions, there should be some negotiation. But yet, according to news reports over the last uh, couple of days, that there could be as many as 160 Labour MPs joining picket lines with, um, standing with uh, striking workers. That is not the action of a government-in-waiting. A government-in-waiting should be taking a step back from... Uh, those strikes and uh, trying to create some distance because if you are going to be the next uh, government of the United Kingdom you need to start off from a, a fresh perspective. You cannot be going into it having previously had your members of parliament on the picket lines with the striking workers. So there is that and of course the many donations that the Labour Party receives from uh, trade unions as well again puts that in question. But you know you as I say, the Conservative Party hasn't had a great track record of late, but that that being said, and again, this isn't to try and defend a lot of what the, the party has done in government, but just to, just to think about, so it's just some food for thought. During the nearly 13 years the party's been in office, the first five years were in coalition with the Liberal Democrats, so many, many compromises had to be uh, achieved there. Uh, the only time there was a proper, well, a proper-ish majority, it was very slim, was uh, 2015 to midway through 2016, uh, when David Cameron won that election, and uh, sorry, through to 2017, and from David Cameron's win up until Theresa May's uh, minority government. So then 2017 to 19, minority government, that, again, many, many more compromises had to be made, many policies had to be watered down. As soon as Boris Johnson uh, wins the 2019 election, the country is plunged straight into lockdown and the circumstances completely change for the country. So actually, there's only been a very limited time in which the Conservative Party has actually had any real chance of doing what it promised to do and not having external factors or other issues get in the way of that. But you know, thank you for your message, Harry. And yes, th perhaps there is a case to be made to give someone else a chance to clean things up. But Again, I just don't think Keir Starmer is the person to do that. But thank you for that message. Our next message comes from George, who says, I wanted to pick up on your point about Brexit, because I can't ignore your comments that we can't trust Keir Starmer and David Lammy, because they campaigned for a second EU referendum. Half a decade ago. This is the equivalent of bringing up Grant Shapp's past of being a dodgy businessman. We could both argue that those insults levelled at the parties we support are irrelevant, but you cannot position Boris Johnson's election landslide as being an overwhelming support for the idea of Brexit. The majority of the public are against Brexit now. Polls show that, uh, polls show that and people voted for Boris because they just wanted the band-aid to be ripped off. We were fed up with the debate, worn down. It was a vote for a good idea. It was a vote to make the pain stop. I think this is the general feeling towards the Tories. They are wearing people down in hopes for votes. Well, thank you for that message, George. And I, I do think that the, raising the issue of Brexit is a key argument in assessing what, what a potential Labour government would do. And you know, again, I, 
I think it's important on the case of Grant Sharps to take that into account, look at his track record, because, you know, he, he has been a dodgy businessman in the past, and now he's running the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. So that if, if I were Prime Minister, that's not an appointment I would have made. I would have chosen someone else for that position. But uh, nonetheless, it, it, we do still have to take pe- these politicians' track records into account when looking at their suitability for government. And, you know, it's the fact that we have to have these background checks shows, it, well, it, it shows the importance of having background checks on our politicians and looking at their previous positions and previous activities. And Nadim Zahavi is a good case for that. What happens when you uh, don't disclose your uh, uh, financial affairs, you get caught for it, you're, you're given the sack. So, you know, there's definitely a case to be made for uh, bringing in politicians' backgrounds into this. But the point about Brexit is important because the, the the world stage is at a very critical juncture at the moment. You know, we've got a rising China that's being incredibly uh, belligerent around the world. We've got uh, the the war in Europe, uh, the, the Russia-Ukraine war. You know, things are very precarious at the moment. And so if the Labour Party is presenting itself as a party that will restore Britain's place on the world stage, make it as great as ever, we have to look at the methods in which they will be doing that. And the, the, the fact that Keir Starmer has such a track record, and David Lammy as well, they have such a track record on wanting to remain in the European Union. Now, look, they've accepted, I think everyone's accepted, we're not going to be rejoining anytime soon. But that doesn't mean that they won't be pursuing closer relations with the EU. They, you know, they've already said that they would look at further deals to uh, have closer ties, potential uh, integration in some areas with the European single market as well potentially even with the European Customs Union as well. You know, that is essentially returning to the EU in all but name. And so in any assessment of Labour's foreign policy, we do have to examine that and examine it very, very closely and carefully because it would undermine the result of the EU referendum, which, yes, it was half a decade ago, but it was also a very, very big vote for leave. But thank you for that message, George. Uh, Our next message comes from Manny, who says, I find myself completely agreeing with you, Nathan, that both the choices at the next election are very poor. But that doesn't mean that the Tories should stay in power. I think it's a case of the devil you know versus the devil you don't. But it isn't like we've had the devil you know for a couple of years. I only know life under a Conservative government. I was too young when David Cameron became Prime Minister, and now I will be able to vote in the next general election. The feeling outside the Conservative tent is that even though both choices are bad, we need new leadership because the Tories no longer care about our best interests because they don't feel challenged. We need a challenger and having Labour in control and the Tories in opposition might actually provide that. Well, thank you for that message, Manny. And I think in large part, there is definitely a, a case for better the devil you, you know in the next election because, you know, as I've been saying, the, the policies that Labour is uh, proposing, the you know, as I've been saying, they're not costed. They are reactionary to the current thing, the thing that's been in the news that week, what they would do to counter that particular problem. A lot of it seems almost ill thought through and just, as I say, a reaction to whatever's been going on or responding to the latest issue within the government that week. And so, yes, there definitely needs to be a challenger. The fact that the two parties have become so stale you know, it really does open up the, the case we made for a, a new third party to come in, a real challenger. The, the Liberal Democrats haven't been that for many, many years. 
the, the only time in the last few decades even that they've been a challenger was in 2010 when uh, Nick Clegg at one point was actually polling higher than Winston Churchill was during, during the Second World War. So, it, you know, that was the last time we had a real challenger to throw a spanner in the works for our political system and we ended up with the, the coalition government. But we don't have a third party to offer that opposition at the moment. I guess the Reform UK, formerly the Brexit Party, are trying to do that, but they're too small to achieve anything. They haven't got the means or the resources to do that, or, or frankly, the, the leadership to do that. But you know, there is definitely a case to be made for a new challenger party to come in. And yes, the the fact that we are asking who is the least worst option when it comes to the election is not right. We need a strong, healthy democracy to have a a good set of choices available for the electorate. And so you're you're right, Manny. I think I think you've actually hit the nail on the head with the the, the situation we find ourselves in. You know, perhaps it is better the devil you know, because for all their faults, at least the Conservative Party and many of the MPs who sit on the, the green benches of the House of Commons, they do have experience of government. They do know what is needed for for governing and the Labour Party doesn't have that. Now, that is a symptom of being in opposition for the last 12, 13 years. But when we actually look at who is on the, the Labour benches at the moment, I think there's only four or five who have actually served in a Labour, Labour government previously. And only one MP, being Margaret Beckett, has only served in a great office of state. And that was, of course, when she was Foreign Secretary. But, you know, thank you for that message, Manny. We're going to go to a quick break. Uh, uh, please visit the website to find all our contact details. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the show. We are still discussing whether or not a Labour government is the solution to the UK's problem. So please do continue to vote on our poll asking that very question. You to vote on that poll, visit wizardradio.com forward slash listen to vote live. Let's go back to your messages now. And our next message comes from Georgina. Georgina says, Nathan, you said very boldly that I do not see a wealth of talent on the Labour front bench ready to take over government. I assume that you look at the Conservative front bench and see a wealth of talents that are energised and ready to take on the job. Please point them out to me, because uh, you might be the only one who can see them. Maybe you're seeing ghosts. The Labour Party have energy. They are engaging with the people. They are understanding of the issues that normal people in this country are facing. I don't see any of the Tory frontbenchers even attempting to understand normal people in the UK. You criticise Labour for being at the protest when the majority of the public actually support the strikes. I would call that a smart move. By comparison, the Conservative government aren't even negotiating properly with the strikers. They have no energy, no talent and no sense. Well, thank you for that message, Georgina. And you, I, I, I will stand by that. I do not see a wealth of talent on the Labour front bench ready to take over government. And on the Conservative benches, well, whilst a number of the sort of heavy hitters of the party have since uh, retired, left the Commons or uh, have just simply moved away from politics altogether, or certainly ministerial office altogether. That's not to say that there aren't those who really do have uh, a passion and uh, energy to take on the biggest challenges. 
And I, I, I will praise Michael Gove. I know this isn't a very popular thing to do, but I will praise Michael Gove because he is, without question, one of the most transformative and innovative ministers that the Conservative Party has had in many, many years. During his time in the Department of Education, he did phenomenal work in uh, uh, reforming the adoption and fostering system so that it was fairer. Him and David Cameron did some great, great work on that. Uh, during his time in the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, again, he uh, went very far on creating further environmental protections on uh, the ban of single-use plastics as well, and uh, uh, the uh, further regulations on the microplastics, particularly microplastics in water. Um, during the, his time as, as uh, the Minister for the Cabinet Office as well, again, he's he was uh, very keen to increase government efficiency, increase transparency within governments, which is such a crucial thing. You know, actually making sure ministers and civil servants are held accountable. He increased the level of transparency significantly uh, within the cabinet office, a, a department that has for a long time been very, very opaque. So, you know, he, he is certainly one of the real transformational ministers. And at levelling up as well, he's done some great work in brokering some devolution deals, particularly around the northeast, and has got quite popular there. So that, that's just one example. Um, you know, time sadly isn't on our side to list many, but the, to your point about energy and talent, you know, there are certainly some members of the the labour benches who do have energy and talent. I know West Streeting is making some noises. There's so uh, a case made that he could be quite a, a good health secretary. He knows some of the issues. But fundamentally, as a collective, I just do not see the Labour Party ready for government. But thank you for that message, Georgina. And our final message of the day comes from Joseph, who says, I think that Labour pursuing a closer relationship with the EU without any suggestion of the UK rejoining the EU with the Union is something that a lot of people in this country would be in support of. One of my big problems with the Tories who have ended up pursuing ideological causes without looking for reality. We need to have a closer relationship with the EU because they are our closest neighbour. You shouldn't be dressing them up as boogeymen because you want to reaffirm Brexit. Brexit has happened and will not be reversed for decades at least. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try and have a better relationship with the biggest trading bloc in the world and our closest neighbour. That's just smart. You Tories need to abandon the ideology, uh, the ideology and spend more time trying to pass common sense policies. Now that would be refreshing. Well, thank you for that message, Joseph. And of course, the, the UK needs a, a good relationship with the European Union. <laughs> Even the most ardent, strident Brexiteer would say, of course, we need uh, good relations with the EU, because as you quite rightly point out, they are our neighbour. And But I think it's also important to actually foster relationships with individual member states of the European Union. Uh, relations between the UK and France have uh, taken a dive recently uh, for a variety of reasons, whether it is through Brexit, where there's been issues with defence cooperation on um, the, the issues with migrants crossing the English Channel as well in small boats. You know, relations with France have really deteriorated. So there needs to be a concerted effort to boost relations with them. They are our closest of close neighbours. Uh, similarly, again, uh, relations with uh, other other EU member states, Germany as well, they, they've taken a hit recently. So we need to foster relationships with the individual countries more than the bloc itself. The EU is so much more than just, well, well individual countries are more important than one trading bloc that is uh, trying to become some sort of super state. And so it, any Labour government should start to look at 
individual relationships and look beyond that. We need to remember second referendum meant remain for Keir Starmer and David Lammy. But thank you for that message, Joseph. And I'm afraid that is all the time that we have for this week. Thank you for all your messages today. It's been uh, it's been, it's been good, good fun hearing your thoughts on this issue throughout our show today. But before we go, let's check in with the final poll result. A reminder that our question of the day is, is a Labour government the solution to the UK's problems? Well, 88% of you say yes it is, but 12% of you say no it is not. Well, thank you to everyone who's listened to this week's episode, and once again, thank you to everyone who sent in messages live. If your message wasn't read out this week, then please do try again next week. I'm Nathan Eckersley, and I'll be back at the same time, same place, next week. Goodbye.